would forget what I said, that would be great. And so... She does. She does. But she really was my babysitter, you know. When I no, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, I need to stop. I need to stop. So, I need to stop. So, Romans 15. That's where we are. Romans 15. Let's go to the Bible and let's let's focus on the Word of God this afternoon. Okay. Romans 15. So. Got so many more thoughts that's run through my head, but I need to stop. So I have to just stop. So it's one of the things when we when we first started dating and different things, I like to tease people. That's just who I am. But I found out right away that and when we first got married and things, Caroline can't take my teasing very much. She thinks I'm being serious. So I literally cannot tease her. She's off limits to that. Except a few minutes ago. And so I got to just stop and not carry on because, you know, I don't want any trouble later on. So, Romans 15. Does anyone need a handout for the sermon today? Um, in the side room there, where are they? At? Are they in both spots? Well, you didn't have to go do it, Annette, but I'll take one too if you're getting up and doing it. So, 217, we're in good shape here. And so you look and you think to yourself, there's not a whole lot of people here this afternoon. If we were to have service at 6, there would be less than half of this. Well, I would hope you would all still be here. You're the good Christians, right? And so, John, I do like, I do like the jacket. But it looks, it looks like that jacket's probably never been worn or not out very much. So, and I'm glad the Lord gave you a nice, cool day to wear that jacket today. So, and, uh, yeah, you heard, though, they're changing M&Ms around, right? Didn't you hear that? And so, and then there's... This one that's going to be a Skittle now or something because it chose to be a Skittle instead of an M&M. Blending in with the world, you know, the world. You identify and, you know, you're buying whatever you want to call yourself nowadays. So a, an M&M is going to be, a, a, decide to be a Skittle. So I guess you just make up your mind to be whatever you, that's so, so dumb. But anyways, I need to get off these rabbit trails and not go down this road to the, this afternoon. I'm going to pass around the sign-up sheet. Um, in two weeks, Brother Ray Young will be with us for I Love My Church weekend or conference on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. The Sunday night, we always have a dinner here at 5 o'clock on that Sunday night. If you're going to be coming and you didn't get to sign this this morning, if you would just pass this around, that would be great. And uh, when we do sign-up sheets around here, they always go the same way. To the back, back up to the front, to the side room. That's how we always do it. But it's amazing. Everyone always, there's always a couple people that are like, I don't know where it came from, and they're passing it every which way. And so... That's good. On Wednesday night, we're going to continue. This week is um, the third week of the month, and so we will be on the five love languages and relationships, and we're going to be looking at some good stuff about our words and time. I'm probably covering two this coming Wednesday. So our words and time, and it will be a good time together on Wednesday night. So Romans chapter 15. Let's look down at verse number 14. Last time we were in this passage, we were in verse 13. So now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And then, Paul, you look at the book, we're getting to the very end. There's not much left in the book of Romans. And now for the last little bit that he has, he gets pretty personal here. And so we see verse number 
16 it says, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. And we see right here that Paul calls himself the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He's also called the apostle to the Gentiles. And I'm grateful for Paul and all the books that he wrote. And we're going to break this down and we're going to see some things about Paul and really how even in our own lives, how do I identify someone who's concerned for the lost? As a Christian, every single one of us should be concerned for the lost. There was a day when you were lost. There was a day when your family was lost. See, there goes Peter. He doesn't know if he passed it front or back. He didn't listen to anything I said just a minute ago. And so, all right, now that I've totally messed up and don't even remember what I was saying. Does anybody remember what I was saying before that? Yeah, I am lost right now. Peter, help me get lost right now. And there goes Joe. See the joys of having an earlier service. It's good. All right. So I don't remember what I was saying. We're going to pray, and then I'll start over, okay? That's just the way it goes. My brain, that's how it works. So what, what little is there, that's how it works. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Father, I'm grateful for this afternoon and grateful for the time we have to be in your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our God, and I pray that you would help us in this passage to get some things. And also, I believe it could be a help to each of us in certain areas. We love you, and we need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The book of Romans and what we've led up to in this point is really, out of all the books that Paul wrote, I would say that Romans has the most doctrine in it. But doctrine now is kind of done. He gets a little personal with the believers here in Rome before he closes out the book. When we look closely at it, he gets real personal here, and really what we can see is we see Paul's heart for service and what motivates him to do what he did. Now, you really look at it and you think about it, Paul suffered a lot. He went through a lot to get the gospel to all the places that he did. I love, And Paul, I could look at his life, and he, was, he, he really did some bad things and really wreaked havoc on the church. But he really believed he was doing God's work. He was sincerely wrong, but he was sincere in what he did. But he took that same fervency that he took to try to destroy the followers of Jesus, and he took that same fervency and followed Jesus with his whole heart to get the gospel to everyone that he could. These verses, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see some things that kind of give his heart and one of the things that we see most about Paul is the fact that he had a great desire to reach the lost. His desire, and we've read it in this book, he said, 
he would even be willing to lose his salvation if it meant that Israel would figure things out about the Lord. He was concerned about souls. Paul was a prolific writer. Fourteen epistles he wrote, and I'm including Hebrews. I think he wrote Hebrews. If you want to say he didn't, then you can argue that in heaven with someone else, but not me. I think he did. Just the way it's written, it's in Paul's style. But anyways, we don't have to go through all of that. But this man told everyone about Jesus. He goes on trial. And he says, let me tell you about what happened to me on Damascus Road. He's before higher-ups, Felix, and so many other people. Let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. And we see a man who loved the Lord, but he loved telling people about Jesus. This afternoon, the little bit of time that I have, we get so caught up on so many things in Christianity, we lose sight of what is truly important. And really what is important is reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we look at this passage this afternoon, we can kind of see how to identify a soul winner. Now, before we dive into this, I want you to know something. I sincerely believe that every saved child of God should be a soul winner. I think everyone. I don't think there's one person that the Lord saved that should not be a soul winner. When he saved us, the Holy Spirit of God came to live inside of us. We don't save anyone. Let's make sure we understand that. We use the term soul winner, but you and I don't save anyone. We give them the good news. We give them our testimony. We share the Bible with people. God does the work, but every one of us should be a soul winner. So when we talk about identifying a soul winner, it should be all of us today. And I don't care how old you are. I remember when I got saved. I was six years old when I got saved. My uncle's owned Radio Shack down in Lake Elsinore. And Radio Shack, they don't have those anymore. But Radio Shack, that was fun back in the day. And um, my mom would work some of the days. And when she would work, if we didn't have school, we had to just be there. And sometimes we got to help move stock around, or they had the computers on. But we're talking about the big monitor, the m slow machine, the graphics on the game, so bad, but it worked. And it was fun. You kids have it so good with your video games today. They look like real life. What I had back in the day, there was no way it was real life. But I grew up and I was okay. But I remember one of the guys that worked for my uncles, I'm six years old. This guy is a straight-up atheist, hates anything to do with God. And the, it, was, it wasn't busy, and we're, I was helping him stock up some shelves. And I told him, I said, you know, if you don't trust Jesus, you're going to go burn in hell someday. I said that at six years old, just like that. He went to my uncles and told them, but I, and I, you know, my uncles are born-again Christians. And like, Brian, you really can't, he's working, you can't do that. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you're zealous for this, but you can't, you just can't quite do it like that. But after I got saved, I wanted people to know. I led my younger brother to the Lord. We were in bed one night. He's in his bed, I'm in mine, and he's a big sinner. I knew he was. I was the good kid in the house, and he was the bad one. And so there's one night, he's about five years old, I told him how bad he was. And I told him, the way you disobey mom and dad, the way you sneak around, the way you give me a bad time, you're a bad sinner. And you need Jesus. And he'll save you. He loves you in spite of who you are. He, you know, and I went through all that, and he got saved. He trusted Christ that night. 
When you get saved and you trust Christ, there's a desire to tell other people. But a lot of times that desire fizzles out. But the lost are still in this world. People still need Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for a man like Paul that never lost his burden for the lost, that always had desire to share Jesus with us. So we talk about tonight how to identify a soul winner. Number one, as we dive in tonight, we see the marks of a soul winner. Verse number 14. And I myself am also persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. So we see that Paul identifies some things in these people here. So what's the first thing that he identifies? Some marks about a soul winner and about himself. First thing is they possess spiritual fruit. Do you see the first phrase that he says? He said, And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are, just like myself, full of goodness. Now when we think about spiritual fruit, is goodness one of the fruits of the Spirit? Goodness is not, William? William is shaking his head no. Yes, goodness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And uh, that was so funny. One of the best things that I'll not forget from the men's thing the other night. The look on Christian's face. Because uh, Keith said no to so- something that I said. Because I asked for an answer. And he said, you should just, his, his face, it was so funny. You should have seen Christian. And then Keith explained himself that it all made sense. He was, he was right in how he was saying it. But he should have said yes, not no. But he was still right in what he said. But your face was hilarious through that. I wish I could have gotten a picture and sent that to your wife. It was so funny. But goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. And when when we think about goodness, are we good on our own? Are we? No. There is none righteous, no, not one. So if you are going to see a mark of a soul, one of the things you're going to see is the fact that they possess spiritual fruit. This world doesn't possess spiritual fruit on our own. We are not good. The Bible makes that clear. The goodness comes when God moves inside of us, when the Spirit of God works inside of us, and His fruit is being displayed in our lives. And when we look at this and we think about these things, spiritual fruit's important. If you're going to be a soul winner, if you're going to have the marks of a soul winner, You need spiritual fruit. Letter B. Not only do they possess spiritual fruit, but what do they possess there? So they are full of goodness. And look at the next phrase. Filled with all knowledge. They possess spiritual knowledge. Someone that does not know the Lord, someone that's not saved, do they have spiritual knowledge? No. They're blinded to the truth. So spiritually speaking... They don't have any knowledge. And they're spiritually blind. What Paul is saying, that those that are saved, and he says, I'm looking at you in Rome there, you have goodness in you. I also see the fact that you're spiritually knowledgeable. And that's one of the ingredients of a soul winner is having knowledge about spiritual things. How can you ever share with someone the truth of God's word if you don't have any knowledge about spiritual things? Now, one of the things I'm enjoying, if you are not a part of our Bible reading group and going through this um, app, Through the Word, I love it. Today, as I was going through, I'm, I do three or four chapters a day. You say, why do you do that? That's just what I do. We're in the middle of Daniel. 
And you hear all, and I've preached through all the prophecies of Daniel, the backbone of prophecy. You'll hear him talk about when you get to Daniel chapter 6 through 9 and those different things. But you see all that the Lord is doing and how everything's going to end up. And you just listen. It's like, the Bible is so awesome. You know, one of the big, contra- well, there are people out there, spiritual people they call themselves, that don't like the book of Daniel. They say Daniel should not be in the Bible. And you know why they say that? They think that someone wrote it after all the events took place. Because no one could understand how the Medes and the Persians would take over Babylon. No one could understand how Alexander the Great would rise to power. No one could get all the prophecies right. And so it had to have been written after that time. And even in the, through the Word app, it mentions the fact that um, back in the 40s, I think it was, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, though, and some people, there are some Baptists that don't like talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's kind of funny. They don't like talking about them. But when it comes to the book of Daniel, it's traced back to 200 B.C. in the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was written well before the things ever happened. But you understand something. Being a child of God, you understand things this world just doesn't understand spiritually. Like, I can look at someone today, I can look at I can look at our governor and kind of understand why he is the way he is. He can't be saved doing the things he does. You say, that's a hard, that's a hard statement to make. It, look. Now, if he's a saved man doing the things that he does, heaven forbid, and what his judgment seat's going to be like. But my prayer is that he'll get saved. Because maybe his eyes would be open. You know, we look at, just look at how he, where he stands on abortion. And California will be a place where abortion's always allowed. That's what he said just recently. And if Texas can have guns, we're going to have abortion. When you're not spiritual, you don't have the knowledge of God. And see, the problem that we run into as a society, go back 50 or 60 years in America. America overall was a more good society. I'll put it that way. That's in loose terms. You know, you watch TV 50 or 60 years ago. You have the Andy Griffith show, stuff like that. You know, my parents the other day, my, my dad just bought this DVD set of, uh, oh, what is it? The, the Nelsons. Um, Ozzy and Harriet. And uh, so growing up, you know, my parents are a little, a little older and things. They were in their 40s when they had me. So... They, um, so I missed out. I never saw Ozzy and Harriet. My older siblings did. Because Ozzy and Harriet, I don't even remember being on TV much. You know, my mom, I saw I Love Lucy. I think I've seen every episode. Yeah, you know, I think I've seen every episode of I Love Lucy. Um, Andy Griffith, Leave it to Beaver. But literally the other day, they pull out these Ozzy and Harriet. I don't think I've ever seen them. But tell, look at the values in the old TV shows compared to today's TV shows. Today, you have oftentimes lesbian couples trying to make it okay that that's okay. Would you have seen that on TV 60 years ago? Lucy and Ricky were a married couple and they still didn't even stay in the same bed and they were worried about her being pregnant on TV. And they were married to one another. That was the world! So you notice the world keeps going in the wrong direction. But spiritually speaking, they've always been blinded to it. 
is just getting worse in our world today. That's why Christians, I don't understand why Christians keep moving in the wrong direction when we've been given the truth. And that's so important that we know the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of God. But Paul, as he talks about these Christians here in Rome, we see some things that they have spiritual fruit, that they, um, as we look there in the middle there, that they possess spiritual knowledge. We also see letter C, that they possess love for one another. You see at the end of verse number 14, able also to admonish one another. How are people going to know that we're followers of the Lord? By our love for one another. The word admonish means to rebuke, to warn, to exhort. Exhort means to encourage. But sometimes you look and you think about that word. That word means to rebuke and to warn. But as we look at this passage and we look a little closer at it, we see that, and you think about a pastor. What's a pastor's job? One of his jobs is to admonish. There are times to rebuke, to warn, to encourage, and we are missing that in the modern church today. We don't like rebuke. We don't like being admonished, as the Scripture says. But as we look and we think about, do you have Colossians 3.16 for the screen? The Bible says to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And we see that it is important. And as the Word of God dwells richly in us, it teaches and it's also, we need to admonish one another. That's what the Bible talks about right here. And so when we look at this, sometimes it's hard to tell people the truth. Right? You don't want to hurt someone's feelings. But if you truly love someone, do you tell them the truth, or do you sugarcoat it? Sometimes you got to just tell them the truth. The truth is important. When we look at these things, Paul made it clear. There, there's no sugarcoating. There's no right, none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He makes those things clear for us. And as we look at these things and we think about it, we see the marks of a soul winner by the fact that they have spiritual fruit in them. That they have knowledge of God. And that they have love for one another and they admonish one another. Number two, we're moving right along this afternoon. Number two, we see the conduct of a soul winner. What's the conduct? Look down at verse number 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of God that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. As one who loves the lost, Paul tells us what his activity is. What does he do? He ministers to the Gentiles. We see letter A. We dive a little bit further. We got to be busy as ministers. If you are a soul winner, if you are, if you have that in you and the conduct, you got to be busy ministering to people. I'll tell you this. If you're not a soul winner, you're not going to be busy ministering. 
if you are busy ministering, you're probably a soul winner. When's the last time you shared the gospel with anybody? I want you to think about that. When is the last time you personally shared the gospel with anybody? I'm not asking you the last time you knocked on someone's door. I know some people say that knocking on people's doors is old and archaic. They did that in Bible days, and I still believe it is a good way to do things today. But you have internet today, you have phones, you have Facebook, you have all sorts of ways. When is the last time you personally witnessed to anyone? One of the things I'm guilty of, if I talk to anybody, the gospel just comes out. It's easy for me, okay? I'm a pastor. And like the movers the other day, what do you do for a job? I'm a pastor. Pastor of what? What type of church? A Christian church. It's easy to talk about it. Say, well, that's because you're a pastor, so it makes it simple. Are you a child of God? I think that makes it easy for all of us, one way or another. But we got to be busy as ministers. We see this with Paul, and let's look a little deeper here. The word, he uses the word, he's a minister. Do you see that there? He says, he used it a couple times, I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. This word refers to one who is busy with holy things. It means that Paul was occupying his time, being busy, doing the work of God. As we pass through this world, there is nothing greater than being able to minister to God's people. But we become very selfish in the day that we live today. Everything has got to be about us. And let me just say, you need to take, and sometimes we get things backwards. Baptists are really good at getting things backwards. And you say, why do you always talk about Baptists? Have you ever read the sign? We are a Baptist church. I'm not going to talk about how Calvary Chapel does it, or how the Presbyterians do it, or how the Lutherans do it, because we're not them. They can figure out, they have their own problems. We're a Baptist church. So I mentioned Baptists because that's what we are. And if you're a part of this church, guess what? You're a Baptist now too. <laughs> yeah. And some of you never thought you'd be a Baptist. And others, anyways, we'll leave that alone, not go any deeper there. But one of the problems, we become very selfish today. But you also had the opposite for so many years. I've seen so many Baptists ruin their families because they never took time for family. And all they did was minister, minister, minister. And they forgot about their main ministry of their own family. There's got to be balance. But that's not how we live today. The problem 10, 15 years ago was we put too much time in ministry and we gave nothing to our family. The problem today is we give too much to our family and we don't give anything to minister and reach back. There's got to be balance there. There's got to be some effort put in and do it as a family. I mentioned it before, and one of the things I'm very grateful for of my parents was the fact that we ministered together. I remember as a kid that we had soul winning every Saturday at our church. And my dad, I mentioned, was the bus mechanic and other things. But Saturday morning, he would take the kids to a park. We would go knock doors. We'd go get popsicles, go to the local dairy and pet the animals. We'd do all sorts of things while, our parent, while the other parents went soul winning. And we loved it. But we did ministry together. I remember going, my mom had her Sunday school class. And Sunday school teachers, a good little plug right here. It would be a great thing for you to visit in the homes of your kids. I grew up in church. 
the first time I ever had a school teacher come visit me was in 11th grade. Mr. Colthart. David Scott, Scott David Colthart. We named our son David Scott after him. He passed away four months after being my Sunday school teacher. One of the dearest men and closest men, one of the best men I've ever been around my whole life. And he's the first one in 11, well, in 17 years of going to church that ever came and visited me. Because my family was always at church. And sometimes we remember those kids that get rides to church and all that, but we forget about the kids that are there every single week. You should make an effort to go minister to them. But take your kids along. Make it fun. And you know, you used to, I know back in the day when I was a kid, we would just go to Thrifty and I'd get a 69 cent ice cream. I know it's $2 now. I can't believe that. But just make it fun. Get them, you know, go to McDonald's, get a cheeseburger. Do ministry with your kids, whatever the case may be. But we need to be busy ministering. And you see what he says in this verse here. He says that he was busy ministering the gospel of God. And may we never forget as we are busy doing the Lord's work, it should always be centered around the gospel. There are a lot of churches that have lots of ministries and lots of things that they do. I'm not against, you know, there are churches that will go out and their ministry is they went and cleaned up a park. I'm not against going up and cleaning a park. But I sincerely believe, and I'm not going to speak wrong of someone doing that, I sincerely believe that every ministry and everything that we do, the gospel needs to be the center of everything that we do. You know, when I went to Mexico, the food was great. I loved the food. I loved getting, but the central theme was the gospel. Helping encourage the people of God with the gospel of God. We see a conduct of a soul and we see their busy ministers. And then we also see, let her be, they're busy as priests. Verse 16 says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Now, as we think about this priest, what would the priest do? The priest would offer sacrifices. The priest would intercede for the people. When is the last time you interceded for someone that needed the gospel? When's the last time you had tears in your eyes thinking about that lost person in your life? When's the last time you had tears for the city of Chino and those that don't know the Lord? When's the last time you had tears for that family member that still isn't saved? When's the last time you shed tears for someone? One of the great evangelists of yesteryear was a man by the name of Hyman Appleman. And after a service one night, a lady came up to him and said, Brother Appleman, I'd like for you to pray for my two teenage boys. They're not saved. I want them to be saved so much, but they're not saved. And so the evangelist said, Is your husband saved? Yes, he's saved. Well, do you have family devotions? Yes, we have family devotions. Are you faithful to church? Yes, we're faithful to church. I do all these things. And Brother Appleman looked at her and said, Lady, I don't want to be unkind, but I'm going to tell you why your children aren't saved. And she's like, oh, please tell me. And he said, Madam, your boys aren't saved because your eyes are dry. She never pled, pled and begged God for her children to get saved. She went home that night. 
fell on her face before God and cried tears for a couple days. And I'm not saying this is how it always works, but this is the way the... And this evangelist could be... He could just be... Some, some evangelists and pastors embellish how they say things. But literally a couple days later, both the boys got saved. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy, the Bible says. When's the last time you interceded for someone? And as we think about and as we close out this afternoon, we see thirdly in verse 17, we see the reward of the soul winner. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. Paul talks about how he could glory in what was taking place. Do you know there is nothing more rewarding? And letter A, let me give you letter A, and then I'll give you a few thoughts on this before we close. But what's the reward of the soul winner? Experiencing joy on a personal level. I'm not going to, I don't want you to raise your hands right now, but I want you to think with me. Have you ever led someone to Jesus? Remember, you don't save them. He does the work. There is no greater joy than to see someone come to Christ. And if you've never experienced that joy, there's just nothing like it. To know that a new name is written down. You say, well, pastor, I just don't know what that's like. You need to go share it with somebody. And it's amazing. And you say, well, pastor, I'm just not a good soul winner. Are you ready? I'm not a good soul winner. I'm a terrible soul winner. I fumble over my own words all the time. You go with me sometime. You, we'll go sometime. You can come with me. You can see how bad I am. It's amazing that anybody would ever get saved. But it's not me that does the work. He does the work on the heart. But there's just a joy that comes that's unexplainable that comes as you share the gospel with somebody. When you think about that, nothing can transform a dead person like the gospel. And to see them realize that and to see them put their trust in Jesus Christ and to know that there's a new name written down in glory, there is nothing like it. And I think about it through the 11 years of pastoring here. Some of my greatest moments of pastoring have been leading people to the Lord that are in this room. I still remember Ryan is always going to be one of my ones I'll never Because Lori comes to the door, and you know Lori. If you don't know Lori very well, just go talk to her for a few minutes, and you can see exactly how she is. She came to church here off and on for like six months. Skylar claims she was here that whole time, but I don't remember ever seeing her. But whatever, she says she was. But Lori, I would try, hey, she would call me. She would block her phone number before she called me so I couldn't even have her phone number. It would be a blocked number calling me. She didn't want me having her phone number. She never gave me her address. She would never fill out a visitor's card. Wanted nothing to do with any of that stuff. And one day, Ryan comes to church, and he says that he was married to Lori. And I'm like, oh, man, this guy deserves a purple heart. He deserves a lot. That's an, that's an amazing accomplishment right there for that. But anyways, he filled out a visitor's card. And I was like, I finally know where they live. And I, I'm sure you got in trouble. I have no doubt. All I remember is when I knocked on the door and the look on her face when I was standing at the door. She didn't say hi. She didn't say bye. She's like, Ryan's not here right now. Actually, no, the first words were, he filled out a card. That was her exact words. And then she's like, I'm not here right now. You know he's not saved, right? No, I didn't know. He'll be back in about 30 minutes. Come back. Click. That was it. 
that was literally it. 30 minutes, I come back. Ryan's there. And he's so much, he was so much nicer than Lori. Oh, no, the longer he's married to her, though, he's become... No, I'm just kidding. But um, I, need to be, I need to be good. <coughs> but how long did we talk? I don't want to embellish it. You tell me how long we talked. Yeah, 45 minutes, an hour. Because, you know, this guy has a lot of knowledge. He's pretty knowledgeable about a lot of different things. But there was nothing more special than the moment he bowed his head and prayed and accepted Christ. After I left their house, I think I jumped in the air and got excited because there's just nothing like sharing the gospel with somebody and them coming to Christ. Most people never get to experience that because you've never let anybody to the Lord. You can have that experience too. Experience joy on a personal level and then there be and lastly, you're bringing glory to a higher level. And what we see at the end here is we see wherever I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. As a soul winner, you know, when I left Ryan's house, I wasn't kind of jumping up and down and excited saying, I am a good soul winner. I was so good. Man, I nailed it. I got him. No. Wow. You saved me. You saved him. It's all about him and what he does. You see, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We, there's nothing inside of you. Th- how can a dead, a dead man can't do anything? Yet somehow a dead man gets convicted by the Spirit of God. And God gives you faith and grace that are his gifts. And he does the work. And when we look at this and we think about these things, he deserves all the glory. That's what takes place. You see, the greatest calling that God has called all of us to is to be able to take the gospel and to share it with someone else. And Paul talks about that here. Hey, when's the last time you told someone? I would encourage you when you leave today to grab some gospel tracks. And I need to make sure there's some more out. Maybe they're all gone. Grab a track and just pass it out. Share the good news with someone. You might say, I'm terrible at it. Hand it to them and run. Put your mask on. They won't even see you, right? It's amazing. Hey, you realize, you realize in, in our county, you have two more days to wear the mask. Then COVID forgets that masks are there and it just all goes away. It's amazing how that works. The 15th, that mandate goes away. So, but unless the governor changes his mind, so we'll see what he decides. But wear your mask. That's one way. No one will know that it's you, right? Just wear a mask over your whole face and then just hand him a track and run and no one will know who it was. They don't need to be embarrassed. But there's nothing greater than being a soul winner.